First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. Jesus is smart. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. In that case, incidentally, I think we disproportionately stop whites too much in and minorities too little. Ooh. Three, two. Hello and welcome to Grub Stakers. I am Andy Palmer and I'm joined here with my friends as always. Yogi Poliwell. Uh, Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffrey. And today we are talking about the Vatican mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church in general. Um, now I'm I'm not, I was raised Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sean, you're a lapsed Catholic. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, you're a lapsed I left after Protestant. Vatican too. <laughs> I'm actually That's Presbyterian too. Oh, you're Presbyterian but, uh, too? Lapsed. Lapsed. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is this lapsed nonsense? What's like you don't you don't I'm care not, for? No, it? I'm trad calf now, so I don't. Oh, believe, I don't now. believe in what abortion. Is this, a coffee order? What's going well, on? Here, here's the thing about like Presbyterianism that I've been realizing is they're the centrist Democrats of Christianity. <laughs> like they just don't really stand for anything, but they still insist that you should believe in the nothing that they stand for. Sure, sure. Um, and then of course Yogi, you're Hindu. Uh, to the bone. To the bone. Uh, is that part of it? Yeah, bad to the bone was originally Hindu to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that we have heard your complaints, uh, and we do recognize that it has been heretical. We stopped doing the podcast in Latin, so <laughs> we will be resuming doing all of our episodes in yeah. Latin the way Christ intended. <laughs> so, um, have any of you guys been to the Vatican, by the way? Yeah. I have. I was there. I didn't go that long, but after um, John Paul II died, I was like, I got to the end of the funeral, so I saw a bunch of Polish people leaving. Oh, for <laughs> real? Did you get to see his body? Uh, no, no, they'd already the the funeral was over. And it was just like bunch of pilgrims like leaving. Oh, yeah. Um, and you did? Yeah, I visited once. Um, I like that they have Longinus as a saint. Oh, really? Oh, the guy who stabbed? The guy who speared him. Oh, yeah. shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in there. Is really? Pontius considered a saint, too? Or is he... Uh, I don't know. Like, that's funny that they just, like, make saints, the people who killed Jesus, and then they're like... Well, it was like he's being merciful or something. <laughs> I just realized when I... killing. <laughs> When I saw all those Polish people leaving, I was presaging Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it's funny because I went there uh, when when Benny was Pope, mm-hmm. and he, uh, I, I, I highly suggest if uh, you're there to see the Pope live because he's, <laughs> it's so it's, much better. It's better, than, it's like Kiss. Yeah. So yeah. who who warms up for him? He does his own warm up. Oh. But here's how he does it. It's it's so perfect cuz is there an MC? <laughs> the Pope is the perfect MC. And here here like there were there was a huge you crowd for the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when I go to see the Pope and then they got like 4 hours of opening cardinals. <laughs> Like, I didn't pay for this shit. I don't care about the local acts. The the two drink minimum. Right, right. (laughs) Two confession minimum. Yeah. 
He, um, there, there's a huge international crowd, and everyone does, had like their how flags. How does the Pope work through check drop? <laughs> like Forty minutes into the sermon, and everybody's getting their bills and checking out. Is there a dress code? Does the Pope got to wear a specific outfit? Uh, it was hard to tell because he was up in his like little window mm-hmm. in his in his palace, and uh, he would like name check all the nationalities that were out there. So he would like just sort of like when a um, when a band is like, hey, it's great to be here in Philadelphia. And everyone screams like he, he would say something in Polish and then you would see all the Polish flags like start waving and they would all scream. And then he would say something in like Spanish right. and all, you know, the different they would like scream. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty neat. So I guess uh, we'll go into uh, bio if, if you all are down for that. Um, about so the Vatican was born uh, the year <laughs> 0 BC. Yeah, our story starts about uh, 2,000 years ago when a heretic Jewish preacher who dreamed of one day creating an international pedophilia and money laundering <laughs> network uh, led a group around Israel. Uh, but before he could make Turns that dream... Out if you read Jesus the most, you'll find out that's what he actually meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to read everything, though. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, just set up a giant fucking pedophile conspiracy. <laughs> and money laundering yes. conspiracy. Oh, my God. This pe- the pedophile cult that's going to exist in 2,000 years is going to be so sweet. <laughs> Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, and he's like, look, you're not going to understand this now, but I'm saying this for posterity. <laughs> When the Nazis fall, you have to get them out of Europe. <laughs> listen, listen. Hindsight might be twenty twenty, but foresight says we're going to fuck people under the age of 18. <laughs> um, well, sadly, before he could uh, make this dream of reality, he uh, was killed in Jerusalem for violating the Roman Empire's longstanding anti-table flipping regulations. Uh, yeah, he saw people doing forex in the in the temple (laughs) (laughs) and uh he was like that is uh he saw people trying to explain bitcoin yeah (laughs) and he's just so fucking mad about that jesus saw the precursor to the blackstone group operating in the (laughs) fucking temple um so then his followers went out uh they uh trekked over to rome and then over there they were uh killed for affiliation with a known table flipper and the place they were killed uh, was Rome's Vaticanus Hill. I would uh, just like to note that the death of Jesus is one of the few historical times where you can use the word deicide, <laughs> which is a very fun word and also something that every Catholic who thinks Vatican II is heresy accuses the Jews of. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is deicide a deity committing suicide? No, killing, killing God. Killing God. Mm, okay, got it. So it's not suicide. It's it's the murder. Yes. I think what was it uh, Benedict at one point? We'll get to his his amazing uh, um, papacy, which is just a series of PR disasters. And at one point, <laughs> he said that killing Jesus uh, was a scandal <laughs> for the Jews. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I'd, like killing God is a pretty big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to live that one down. You got to hire a really good PR firm. <laughs> you know what bit I'm tired of seeing? It's what? the entire. Jesus, uh, Mary, Joseph, Maury situation bit. You guys hear the stand-up bit? It's like, oh, yeah. like Jesus was born out of wedlock. It would have been different if they were on Maury. Joseph, you are not the father. <laughs> oh, you know, it's like it's the same fucking concept every time. I've seen it in ten years of doing stand-up. I've seen it maybe fifty times, and every time I go, not that funny. Maybe I don't miss <laughs> open mics that much. <laughs> there are probably people in Rome in like the fifth year, eight, fifth century AD doing that joke. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. That's how old Maury is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Well, the equivalent of Mori. No, specifically Mori Povich. Oh, he was forced helling. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's going to be a crazy show. That's going to be yeah, right. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to be the head of a show in Chicago. <laughs> that's going to tell uh parents that they're not technically parents and people are going to cheer for me. Mori is very like and so it came to pass. Roman Coliseum-esque. Like it's very oh, yeah. aggressive and like really like uh, built on one versus the other and like just like booze and thumbs down like it's very uh in in uh, visceral yeah i stopped yeah. watching mori after they stopped doing the show in latin <laughs> <laughs> so um uh the book that i used for this was uh god's bankers by gerald posner which is is very good if you have 24 hours to kill uh, on an audiobook um and i used to have this joke that like uh the Vatican was kind of a fortified city-state built of gold that was funded entirely on exporting tickets out of hell. <laughs> and it um, turns out that up until about 200 years ago, that's exactly how they paid for things. They paid for it with indulgences, <laughs> right. um, which were, you know, uh, essentially, if you pay us money, uh, you'll uh, you'll have a better apartment in the afterlife. And uh, a few people had, took disagreement with that Uh one of them was Martin Luther, mm-hmm. and he uh, he started his whole heresy. Um, he also but... thought the church was going a little easy on the Jews for the day aside, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, interesting because there were long-standing Jewish ghettos in Rome up until the nineteenth century, or up until the twentieth century. Really? Yeah. My understanding uh-huh. of how medieval finance works was basically like the king or whoever would uh, borrow money from the Jews because they were allowed to work with money because it was considered sinful for you know usury and other reasons. Mm-hmm. They would borrow money from the Jews for uh, to fund the treasury, and then they would be unable to pay, repay it, so they'd go, okay, let's have a pogrom and kick out all the <laughs> Jews so I don't have to pay them back. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, um, the, the Papal States, which was uh, basically Central Italy, the area around Rome, was actually run by the Vatican mm-hmm. for a while, and they managed to avoid that. Um, but then the French Revolution happened, and the French kind of got this hobby of just invading Rome. Um, <laughs> at one point, they they imprisoned the Pope, and when he died, like there the records in the town were like they had the guy's real name, and then they were like occupation pontiff <laughs> like when he died in prison right right um oh I, I just want to tell like in like i think it was the 1300s but just like the history is so long that there's some like really incredible obscure popes out there and i know there's like there's one who his cause of death was he was stabbed to death by uh the husband of the uh, wife he was fucking <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, so there were, like, a bunch of popes who were just, like, secretly having, like, orgies in the Papal Palace and oh, shit. Oh, yeah, ancient popes were great. Like, yeah. there was one guy who, uh, he was in the Medici family, and he became pope at 14. And, yeah, it was just one of those orgy popes who, yeah, um, yeah took it as a ticket to, to fuck. Um, <laughs> you are the pope! <laughs> so, after, um... Let's see. First, there was uh, the French just invaded Rome right after the revolution, and then Napoleon invaded Rome again. Um, and eventually, the uh, Romans had to ask uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire to protect them. Mm-hmm. And around this time, because they kept getting invaded, they ended up going bankrupt. And uh, this is like the mid-19th century. They had to take out loans from the Rothschilds. Oh, really? Which did not go well. <laughs> 
Um, the well, second day aside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people, uh, followers of the church were not happy about that. <laughs> and the church had to also reluctantly ease up on its continuing persecution of the Jews. Um, and they actually had to, because uh, the Rothschilds, at first the Rothschilds were like, okay, we'll give you, we'll loan you some money, you know, business. And then people are like, okay, but aren't you also going to tell them to, uh, you know, stop stop putting the Jews in ghettos? And the Rothschilds were like, okay, stop putting the Jews in ghettos. <laughs> um, All right. And so uh, the Vatican, um, uh, because of that, they realized that they had to start investing. They were very anti-capitalism before that uh because they believed that it it caused workers to get paid too much um and it violated the feudal order they thought that capitalism was a godless uh system but they basically out of necessity had to kind of embrace it so they started selling um so these are bernie bros you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) they're um uh, feudal bros (laughs) They, they basically started selling bonds and then they would bought a newspaper that they required people, um, Catholics to read. Hmm. And in the newspaper, it would always have like a little thing where it's like, also buy Vatican bonds. <laughs> it's your religious duty. Right, right. And they pulled themselves out of the, the um, they basically paid off all their Rothschilds loans. And then they <laughs> used some imagine- of that money to rebuild the walls around the g- Jewish ghetto in Rome. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm imagining like those World War II buy bonds propaganda posters, but for like Vatican bonds. So it would have like a priest would be like, he fucks the children so you can stay home. (laughs) (laughs) This man is your friend. He fights for you. He fucks for you. (laughs) Well, you're over here. He's over there. (laughs) It's like a picture of a little boy's asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Buy Vatican bonds. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, one, one for the troops. <laughs> one thing the uh, Rothschilds discovered when they were trying to fix the Vatican finances was that um, they didn't have a budget. They were just kind of freewheeling Whack. it with their money. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. So um, we should get the the Rothschilds to fix our budget, <laughs> <laughs> our Patreon. <laughs> so, um, base. So basically, the Vatican they kind of fix things up. Uh, they have Vatican One in the meantime. Uh, where they decide that the Pope is infallible after he pissed off a bunch of people by saying that uh, freedom of speech was evil. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> he should start a Twitter account. He'd do great there. Oh, man. Pope, the Pope Piuses were like the best, like perfectly conservative and evil popes. Um, but uh, just so Vatican I was mid-1800s or? Yeah, yeah. It okay. was up until like the 1860s. Um, and yeah, they... they <laughs> Uh, yeah, they they determined that the Pope was infallible and uh, pissed off a lot of people. I but guess we should just explain, like Vatican's uh, Vatican one and two were these conferences where all the papal uh, representatives met and promulgated new rules for the Catholic Church. Yes, um, new rules. It, it was based. <laughs> the Vatican one was because uh, after the Pope made a bunch of very controversial anti-modern statements. Hell yeah. Um, he decided that he needed them kind of ratified or given legitimacy by all the all the cardinals and bishops. And <laughs> After so, he was done getting owned by astronomers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just imagine the Pope making all these anti-modernist statements and getting like retweeted by a bunch of like Wojaks and Peppies. <laughs> 
<laughs> like make memes about hose mad x24 <laughs> what's so funny about the astronomer thing is that like part of that was that like galileo it wasn't that he violated something that jesus said or something that was in the bible is that he violated aristotle mm-hmm. who of course you know was a pagan and vaguely atheistic philosopher right but because the uh, Roman church adopted the works of Aristotle as kind of the foundation mm-hmm. of their church. They mm-hmm. considered something that contradicted Aristotle heresy. Hmm. Yeah. I never they adopted that. geocentrism. Yeah. Geocentrism. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's... as Christians, we believe this Muslim doctrine. And if you're against <laughs> that, you're against us. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's so fucking yeah. backwards. Yeah. It was, it's like, it's because it's more of, because it's the Roman church, you know, right. it's, it's based on, they, they took, um, sort of the Greco Roman legacy and codified it as, uh, the religious doctrine. So were there like a Vatican hipster that were like, yeah, I liked Vatican one more than Vatican two rules, bro. <laughs> They're uh, still alive today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are trad cats. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause Vatican two, uh, that happened in the fifties. 19? 1950s, and that actually liberalized the church a lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What are trad cats? Uh, traditional Catholics. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a fun... <laughs> By the way, before yeah. you said traditional Catholics, I was like, what is? What are these trad cats? <laughs> they sound like they do construction and beat up people on the weekends. <laughs> so they're on, they're on Twitter now. Oh, the tra- the oh yeah, the Pope is. No. Trad cats? Trad cats. Oh, right. like, yeah, that's where they're known best for being yeah. uh, loudly Catholic on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um. So the the Vatican's kind of spinning its wheels, and then another Pope Pius uh, comes to power around the 30s, and there's kind of this long-standing. Uh, there was a the 1930s, 1930s, and there was at the what else happened then? Well, <laughs> funny you should ask, because there was this uh, tension between uh, the the Catholic Church and Italian nationalists, because um, after all the uh, invasions. You know, there was an Italian nationalist movement that led to um, the modern Italian state. And that was a liberal state, you know, with voting and whatnot. And the... I can look at the communist. (laughs) (laughs) And there were communists, which uh, the Vatican decided were godless heathens and returned to anyone who was anti-communist. And boy, did that lead to some... um, Uncomfortable bedfellows. So <laughs> at various points they've decreed, they've said like communist Catholics are excommunicated, pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in 1949, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, they had the decree against communism, which just excommun- excommunicated all of them. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is was- I don't know if we'll have time to get into it today, but it's kind of interesting. It runs up against liberation theology, which is like a Catholic movement, particularly in South and Central America. Where like a lot of you know Catholic priests and uh, bishops and cardinals were killed because they were preaching not necessarily communism but certainly economic redistribution and helping yeah it, the poor. Was, it was Marx inspired like socialists yeah. yeah yeah and um yeah that's that's definitely a continuing tension like even uh, Pope Francis uh and he he uh, explicitly rejected liberation theology even though he's seen as like hmm. I mean people everyone sees Pope Francis the way they want to see him. Um, he's gorgeous kind of gorgeous he's kind of the obama pope yeah right. uh, but he uh he's the most fuckable yeah if any of the pope eat butt it's probably him oh yeah mm-hmm. if you like your altar boy you can keep him <laughs> <laughs> liturgical <So>. seven 
<laughs> so um the uh, <laughs> uh because of all of this uh they struck a deal with uh this young upstart who took control of Italy um to uh make the Vatican its own state. And this was in what was called the Lateran Treaty that officially recognized the sovereignty of Vatican City mm-hmm. as its own. And they signed that with uh, a fellow who initially they didn't want to go into business with him because he was a um, self-described atheist who bragged about never going to mass. But uh, then they found it advantageous to work with him and he found it advantageous to embrace the church because all the Italians were Catholics. So they signed a treaty with Mussolini and uh, tacitly supported his rule of um italy plus mussolini didn't like the jews and they kind of had that in common with them sure they were hesitant because he was mostly raping little girls instead of little boys (laughs) (laughs) so as um things ramped up hitler came to power and the nazis started persecuting catholics and the vatican decided that the best way to get the catholics protected in germany um, was to follow the lead. Well, actually, they probably led um, Chamberlain. Basically, they were the first. The Vatican was the first country to acknowledge the Nazi state as a legitimate state, and right. that led to a lot of Catholics to accept the Nazis, um, especially in Germany. And uh, as soon as the war broke out, um, there were you know all these reports of all this violence against the Jews and the Pope before, uh, let's see, there was one Pope who in the early, who was going to release a statement condemning fascism and the violence against um, Jews, but he, I guess he died before he could give it. And Mm. then the next Pope mysteriously. Yeah. (laughs) We'll, we'll get to one of those. Okay, great. Um, He was, he was editing it all night. (laughs) I really wanted to make that statement calling out Hitler perfectly. And he was going to make it too. He's going to do it. So don't call him a Nazi Pope because he was about to put that statement out. Well, no, that was the next Pope. So the next Pope, uh, they were both kind of Nazi Pope a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The next one did, uh, he like gave, did this, uh, very, pope thing where it's sort of a a non-condemnation of like fascist uh racism Mm -hmm. and so he gave a statement that decried like bigotry oh really and that was the extent of his criticism of the nazis oh yeah (laughs) and then um, there are a lot of fine people on both sides yeah yeah i guess i mean i should mention you know so and this is also a pope pious so they're both Pope Pius. It's like 12 and 13 or something? or No, Pope Pius the 13th is the young Pope. Okay, so... Which, but not the which, young Pope. Which Piuses are the Nazi <laughs> The number Pope? is their favorite I think, age. I think they're 11 and 12. 11 and 12. So... <laughs> damn it. Uh, the... Uh, the, oh, yeah, so my, I guess my point was the first Nazi pope, I think 11, like a lot of Catholics or some people will essentially make the defense that it's like he's not really a Nazi pope, like he had to sign this agreement with Hitler but to protect Catholics in Germany right. or like it was like a, 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 a compromise or whatever else, which I think is kind of spurious. Yeah. I, I don't think he really helped anybody by giving uh, the Vatican agreement with uh, the Germans at all. Yeah. I if mean, anything, he like mollified german catholics against the the nazi absolutely and you know it 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 is possible that if he did speak up in strong terms against catholic bigotry that it could have um 
you know, by turning German Catholics against the Nazis, it could have made a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he didn't. And then the next one did jack shit. Like, he he just hung out in the Vatican, even when um, the Nazis invaded Germany and propped up Mussolini after Mm -hmm. he had been ousted. Uh, The only time... He got reports of the Holocaust and just ignored them. Hell like yeah. of the of the atrocities going on in Auschwitz, like the gas chambers, ignored them. Um, at one point, the Vatican was the Vatican. He opened the Vatican Bank. Um, at one point, the Vatican was the only country that recognized that could move money both for the Axis and the Allies. Oh, really? Which enabled massive money laundering. Yeah, of course. By Nazis. Uh, towards the end of the war. Just to go back a bit, when was the Vatican Bank founded exactly? The Vatican, Vatican Bank founded, that's why I just mentioned it now, because it was right. founded in like the 40s. 1940s? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And it's, let's see. Wasn't there something with the Swiss National Bank that was similar because they were neutral, so they yes. were tr- they were laundering money they for They were both sides. doing yeah. the same stuff. They, they both had deposit windows where you could put your tooth gold in. <laughs> <laughs> just a little tooth-shaped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Sort of like a coin thing. It's yeah. like molars. <laughs> I did just want to mention, like you said, the Pope was getting like reports of the Holocaust. And just uh, something I've learned reading a fair bit about it is how widespread knowledge of the Holocaust was. You know, yeah. because it's like once, of course, the war ends, everyone in Germany was like, oh, I had no idea. We had no idea. Right. But, you know, there's the diarist, um, Victor Klemperer, who wrote like as a Jewish uh, survivor who lived in Germany. He survived. His he life had, is like incredible. Yeah. And how he survived is right. wild. And it's like a great separate story. Maybe we'll tell it later. But, you know, he survived because he was married to a to a quote unquote Aryan woman. But old and right as he was about to get shipped off to Auschwitz, there was the bombing of Dresden where right. he lived. And because the documents were destroyed, he was able to go off and live with right. family. Oh, Which well. is why yeah. I say the bombing of Dresden was justified. <laughs> <laughs> because they saved Victor Klemperer and like a hundred some other uh, Jews who hadn't been killed yet. But um, the, the point was, uh, Victor Klemperer, he's keeping a diary like every day or every other day of what's happening. And in March 1942, this is a random Jewish guy living in Germany. He identifies Auschwitz by name. What? So oh. it's like, there are so many like, survivor reports and reports as soldiers on the Easter front coming back mm-hmm. that, you know, it was impossible to keep something like this secret. Like, mm-hmm. again, you know, mass murder of millions of people. So it is just something where it's like, yeah, of course, the Pope would be well informed and be totally aware of the Holocaust. And it's also worth noting that there was a priest in Hungary who uh, who granted conversions to thousands of Jews mm-hmm. Without any expectation that they actually believe, they right. were just paper conversions um, that actually saved thousands of Jews from being deported. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, this was a guy. This wasn't Vatican policy. This was like one priest working on his own. And even in Rome, they wouldn't allow convert. Or they they would allow conversions, but then they would grill the Jews being like who wanted to convert, sure, asking them sure. if they knew the Lord's Prayer yeah. and shit like that, and would deny them if they didn't because they thought they were fake. <laughs> like, well, yeah. they were. I mean, like, they, you know, <laughs> like they're, you know, not to say that the Catholic Church was right to do this, but those people were like, these people aren't down for the cause like we are. <laughs> and that, um, They're just trying to escape persecution, a weak man's way to get into Catholic Catholicism. <laughs> At the, they, uh, they became like Marvel Cinematic Universe nerds. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah? Well, what's your favorite Iron Man uh, storyline, huh? If you're such a big nerd girl, huh? <laughs> so you don't want to go to Auschwitz, huh? 
what's Iron Man's real name? <laughs> <laughs> also, during the um, while you know all this was happening, uh, Pope Pius was much more interested in excavating underneath St. Peter's Basilica to find St. Peter's uh, gravesite. Oh, really? Than he was in like what was going on during the what? war. And the only time he cried during the war was when there were some bombs that he saw off in the distance near Rome. Right. <laughs> he didn't give a fuck except when his shit was being bombed, essentially? Yeah, yeah. Man, what a weak bitch. Yeah. And that's part of that's just... I mean, he he was like an Italian through and through. Like, <laughs> most of the popes uh, for like 500 years were all from the... Uh, all, were all Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, I fuck it to children. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> It was it was later found that um, after a, there was a tripartite uh, gold commission on finding on repatriating um, gold that was stolen from the Jews, mm. uh, they were unable to account for 177 tons of gold that went missing from Nazi occupied territories, um, and this is after a series of lawsuits in the 90s where Switzerland actually cooperated, mm-hmm. but the Vatican did not. Oh, really? Uh, and the Vatican still keeps like. A lot of its uh, archives from the uh, Second World War closed mm-hmm. uh, to people. Though Francis might be changing some of that. He mm-hmm. is doing some reforms. But um, <laughs> there was even a case where... Man, if you get to the archives and they're not in Latin, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> this is heresy. <laughs> There's one case where uh, the uh, priests at the shrine of Our Lady Fatima had hidden 110 pounds of Nazi gold where each bar was stamped with a swastika. What? And the words for Prussian state of Berlin were also stamped on them. And this came out in the 90s. And when it did, the priests claimed that they sold the gold bars in the 80s to pay for an expansion of a sanctuary. <laughs> Hell yeah. And then they said like, okay, well, you know what? We're going to purify the um, the gold sure. by donating. Uh, they promised to donate um to like Jewish causes or something uh-huh. in the memory to purify the memory of the gold ingots and then the author of the the book on the Vatican Bank said he couldn't find any evidence yeah. that they yeah, donated any actually, money anywhere. Wow. Oh, yes. It's like um, the Reinmans. Yeah. They still haven't donated yeah. that 11 million. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still searching for the right the right uh recipient. I usually like block all advertisers on Twitter, but I keep Panera up for some reason cuz anytime <laughs> I get a sponsored ad from Panera, I immediately comment, "Where is that 11 million dollars going?" And it's crazy how many people actually like those tweets and nice. are like uh, yeah, th- this is a decent <laughs> question. Um, but uh, the Reinman family figured out that they got Nazi roots and went, we'll donate money and haven't done shit about it. <laughs> um, but to be fair, those those uh, gold bars could have been from India. You never know with swastikas. <laughs> I mean, the German on it, who knows? But uh, the swastikas could have been there for a long time. Yeah, what if they like tried to like shoo it away? Or they were like, no, no, yeah, they are India. And they just <laughs> hold up a mirror to the gold bar so the swastika <laughs> faces the other way. <laughs> And then they're trying to act like, no, you're the dumbass because you <laughs> right, don't right. know that backwards it's actually an ancient Hindi symbol. <laughs> no. They also have to hold the mirror at like an angle because the Nazi swastika is right, right, tilted. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and then they, uh, the Vatican continued their um, fun little game where... They basically made a rat line for the Nazis after the war. Hell yes. Where they would just give a bunch of people uh, Red Cross passports. Right, because everybody like lost their ID documents or whatever else the case may be. Or there were a lot of people without them. There mm-hmm. were millions of refugees all throughout Europe. So, 
you know, if Red Cross or whoever, like, gives somebody, like, this is a refugee document. So the Vatican made a bunch of those for <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Dr. Mengele, among others. <laughs> Klaus Barbie was another one. Well, Klaus Barbie was picked up by the Americans, wasn't he? Uh, I forget the exact story, but I think he got out through the Vatican rat line. There was a bit of, like, there was a little bit of Operation Paperclip involved, which kind of makes us funny, which is, like, oh, America was also doing some of the same stuff, right. you know, with Operation Paperclip. But there was apparently a, a quote from uh, Adolf Eichmann that was like, yeah, I was surprised like how many uh, Catholic officials I went through to get out of Germany. Right. Eichmann got out through the Vatican. Yeah, he got yeah. out through the Vatican rat line. Um, and so, yeah, there were there were a lot of Nazi sympathizers in the Vatican. And part of it was probably like an ideological um, like they probably didn't have the Nazis uh ideological race theory against jews but they many people in the catholic church are certainly anti-semitic uh, and certainly were at the time and at the same time they're also very anti-communist because they saw communism as the great atheist empire mm -hmm. like reagan did. it violates human rights to property and stuff like that yes when there are things <laughs> There's like a weird, so I'm reading this book, Savage Continent. It's about Europe in the aftermath of World War II. Mm -hmm. And like, um, I don't know if you can call it an unintended consequence. Maybe it was an intended consequence. But essentially of the Nazi genocide and war is that it made the countries of Europe extremely ethnically homogenous, whereas mm -hmm. they hadn't been before World War II. So just to take Poland, for example, like, you know, of course, uh, the vast majority of the Jews were there were murdered. But then when many of them came back to try and reclaim property that had been expropriated, stolen from them, uh, they faced local Polish anti-Semitism. And, you know, many more were killed in there or just intimidated into leaving. So and, you know, the Polish and um, the Ukrainians, I believe, had like a back and forth, like really vicious ethnic cleansing battle, violent uh, after the war as well, where, you know, Ukrainians were kicked out of Poland. And so it was just something where it was like because of the Nazi invasion, Poland became an almost entirely Polish Catholic country. Hmm. So it was like, uh, you know, it, and it, Germans who because right. like Prussia actually extended into right, right, right. modern day Poland. Germans right. were kicked out. Yeah. With like, you know, the blessing of the allies and like in fairness to them, it's entirely possible there would have been a genocide of local Germans if they weren't like moved the fuck out of uh, the Polish authorities. Hmm. I mean, no. you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's a very interesting historical period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I guess I was just kind of saying, like, the fact that we got a Polish pope out of it might have uh, not <laughs> been a coincidence because they uh, seem to have concentrated a lot more Catholics within Poland in the aftermath of World War II. Right. Yeah, well... I mean, the Polish... He actually... Um, had to hide out in a um in like a seminary or uh, a church during some nazi exterminations towards the end of the war john paul ii survive yeah i didn't know that yeah um so we're gonna move ahead to sort of the vatican bank and what it became after it was started um it was eventually given the reins by this fellow by the name of uh Man wait I'm just imagining the uh, the papal representatives pitching Joseph Mengele on like a Trivago kind of <laughs> like, look, we've got a package that'll bring you to Brazil, but what about Argentina? <laughs> Four star hotels, 
and then he can like he he <laughs> it'll shop the twenty best prices <laughs> for escaping Europe. You know, you know who they were, was uh, really cool with all of this? Yeah, Perone. Oh yes, you know the guy whose uh, wife has that fawning musical about her. <laughs> Yeah, like a bunch of, uh, let's say, South American fascists would take Nazis over and be like, yeah, hey, help us set up our security apparatus. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's what all that Catholic colonialism was worth it, that we could get the Nazis out of Europe safely. <laughs> so, um, so we have... Uh, hey, what other evidence is there for their escape? Like, I know that, that some of this stuff is alleged, but like... For them, oh, no, this isn't alleged. This is like hard evidence. They, from... went, they went to Argentina? Or, I mean, they went oh, to, yeah. Um, yeah, they, that whole... That I mean, they were found in Argentina. Like, you know, Eichmann was uh, very famously abducted uh, by the Mossad in Argentina, in oh, Buenos really? Aires, yeah. And after uh, Mengele died, it was revealed that he spent the rest of his life in there. Huh. And the, um, like, people researched into how they got there, and a lot of it was through the Vatican. Mengele actually looked up, I was, he was in Brazil for a while, and he had an address in Sao Paulo, and next time I go with my wife, I have to convince her to visit Mengele's <laughs> house with me. These are the arguments in the McCarthy marriage. <laughs> look, we just got to take an Uber for one hour into the city so that we can look at an apartment block that will probably not have a memorial right, plaque right. or any acknowledgement because they're trying to rent the thing. <laughs> You you talk your way into it. You like go in the bedroom. You're like, oh, inst- interesting twin bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, the uh, the Vatican Bank in its early days is uh, it's run well. I, its early days to about five years ago um, was not run well because it was basically run by cardinals hmm. who would cardinals and bishops who would get there sort of by gaining uh power within the church and not because they had like good financial or business sense Mm -hmm. and uh one of all their financial projections were diagonal (laughs) (laughs) oh (sighs) dumb i know Uh, so stupid (laughs) i know but i like it uh one of them was this american by the name of manchinkus who uh, well, Andy, I don't think you can say that anymore. Not this. <laughs> Andy, Andy oh, just Jesus. lost on, the job Andy, on, on SNL. Just oh, the post Shane Gillis SNL days, buddy. You can't, you can't be saying that shit anymore. Um, you need to go to Chinatown and get some food right now. I'm sorry, it's, it's mandatory. Uh, man, Chinese Americanists. Uh, <laughs> he was. Uh, um, Weirdly enough, Andy then launched into a rant about MSG. <laughs> <laughs> but he met Madison Square Garden, so it was okay. It worked out. You know what gets me about that whole controversy is it's like everyone's pretending like SNL is is isn't a terrible terrible show oh, already it's that's awful. completely irrelevant now. The only reason to be on SNL is it's like a steady paycheck doing comedy. It's yeah. a good union job. And you're not you're really not really podcasting doing and begging people for yeah. like a fucking subsistence wage. As I think Jack Allison pointed out, like the job at SNL is basically you get a phone call at three in the morning from uh, what's his name? Married to Scarlett Johansson. Um, Colin Jost. You get like a, a call from Colin Jost at three in the morning telling you to rewrite some half-baked idea he had for a Burger King commercial. That's a sketch. <laughs> yeah, I think the worst thing about it is that the Shane Gillis situation really points out who's applying for those jobs because most people who are in comedy 
uh, don't give a fuck about SNL nearly as much as the we people used to. And so a guy like Shane is going to get those jobs because he's like, fuck it. Who gives a fuck? I might as well submit to this. The, right. the reality is the standard for what you submit to as a comic is so fucking low at this point that only the worst people submitting are going to get the things that uh, are, are good for, for that are good jobs. Well, yeah, late night talk shows are just like the comedy's just so bad. Yo, I'm telling you, man, you look up the Jimmy Fallon Epstein monologue, like when he was he killed himself. And it's like two jokes about guards falling asleep. But I mean, it is atrocious. Uh, like, you know, the, the most recent fucking Jimmy Fallon sketch was Kim Kardashian and him showing each other their fucking phones. What? What the fuck is this? That's not good writing. That's not a good sketch. This is horse shit. What's going to be next on Jimmy Fallon? Uh, uh, went to drive through with uh, uh, Nicki Minaj. What? This isn't fucking comedy. This is just two people doing something. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Why are we tolerating this? Uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon and uh, 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 the woman from uh, Modern Family uh, uh, decided to go to a ballet together. What? This isn't fucking comedy. What? I'm so fucking mad about this because I love late night. <laughs> And I think that it's been fucking watered down to just horse shit. And, and no one's saying anything. No one's calling out this bullshit. And none of you just, guys are even fucking no, mad about this. You know what's funny to me is how much more angry Yogi is about late night than about the Vatican raping children <laughs> and smuggling Nazis out of Europe. Listen, some problems we can't change. You know, Some problems, they're just going to be there as long as time continues. But fucking this NBC Jeff Zucker late night era we're in right now, kill it. Kill it to fucking death. Just the listeners, like, yeah, they went through the Holocaust <laughs> and the uh, massive rape of children in a very dispassionate and kind of clinical manner. But then they got to Jimmy Fallon's show and they started screaming, and you could tell it really bothered them. <laughs> Listen, we do the real dirt in the middle of the episodes. That's all I want the audience to know. So Pope Pius was followed by Pope John, and he was kind of the first people's pope. Uh, that sounds so much like an edit. Uh, he, <laughs> he, uh, he was really good on TV, so people liked him, and he did Vatican Wait, II. Wait, what happened to Pope Chinkus? I'll get, I'll get to it. I'll get back to him. Sean, come on. Uh, come on. You want that job, boy. So uh, Pope John, he kind of liberalizes the church a bit and then dies, followed by Pope Paul. And the whole time there was this bishop from America, Manchinkus, who... Uh, is kind it, of what is the spelling of this? <laughs> I don't know. It's it like, what does Pope Ringo come up, huh? I'll I'll, I'll get to the I'll get to the but dress like, to kill bit. They change their yeah. names when they become pope, right? Yeah. So he, he probably no this this guy he's not a pope. He's he's a bishop. He's a bishop. He's okay. a bishop who. Um, oh, I thought he was like he became pope, and he's like I could put a slur against Chinese <laughs> people in my name, yeah. and nobody would call no, me. How, how do you spell it though? How do you spell uh, it? <sighs> Spell it slowly into the mic, by the way. <laughs> make sure yeah. make sure it's clippable for Mashable. Yeah, please. Here, I'll, I'll Make find. sure that when you say it, you say it loudly. If clearly. we don't have to say it like that, then we shouldn't. And, and stop doing that thing with your eyes when you say it. <laughs> putting on the fucking uh, hat every time. <laughs> and the little fake racist glasses. They're fake glasses. They're real racist. Yeah. That's how it was pronounced in the audio book. <laughs> is it a robot Who voice it? or was it a person Andy? voice? <laughs> audio book read by Shane Gillis. <laughs> it's, or, okay. M A R. Wait, wait, wait. C I N K U S. K U S. I'll say it Marcinkus. Marcinkus. That makes more yeah, sense. Yeah. 
That's okay. funny that the audio book. That's so great. Oh, that rules. Read by M A R C I N K U S. Yes. Okay. All right. He's a bishop. And Marcinkus. He, what yeah. was his deal again? I was totally lost on the racial <laughs> slur. So he makes his way to the Curia. Um, yes. Pisses off a bunch of people with his brash Americanism, but wins over popes. So I guess he's a bit of a bootlicker. Yeah. Um, he also likes, he's uh, like a big fan of golfing and living the high life mm-hmm. in Rome. Mm-hmm. So he eventually befriends Pope Paul, who puts him in charge of the Vatican Bank. And things get a little uh, uh, wild in there. At one point, there is uh, during, I think it's the time of the Marshall Plan, there's a lot of um, uh, counterfeit U.S. Treasury bonds being moved around. Mm. This is a little bit post-Marshall Plan, but there was uh, the FBI uncovered a Genovese mob plot Mm -hmm. to move uh, counterfeit or to sell counterfeit American bonds and they trace it all the way to the Vatican and they interview uh, Marcinkus and they he he just gives them enough non-answers and charm and with like interspersed with just being charming that they can't nail anything on him but he's clearly creating this kind of um, underground uh, how, how would you say it um He's kind of creating his own little deep state in the Vatican Bank, which also is a, it's a private bank. Right. It's not under the direct control of the Vatican, even though the Pope can fire um, the head of the bank. So wait, how is he creating like a deep state in the bank? Or he, he's kind of running things his own way out of um, out of sight, just kind of, you know, right. helping people launder money. Gotcha. He has yeah. like an underground pool of capital and then nobody's really Looking watching or it, doing yeah. oversight. So. Gotcha. And then I know you're going to get to this, but like the CIA starts using it too, right? Yes, the CIA starts using it. Well, it's funny. The CIA, after, um, I think it was after Pope John died, they made contacts with some of the cardinals in the papal conclave, which, you know, is to elect a pope. Mm-hmm. And they, they, the apparently CIA people would be like, hey, so could you get someone who's a little more anti communist than John? <laughs> <laughs> like. Th- just the C- the 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 balls of the CIA to just intervene in in a in a papal conclave. That's, right, right. Um, it's beautiful. So he's doing this thing until Pope Paul dies, and then uh, a new pope comes in, Pope John Paul the First. And Pope John Paul the First has a meeting with Mar Marcinkus, mm-hmm. and apparently. Uh, Marcinkus walks out looking just stricken and oh, really? said to people around him like, oh, I probably won't be around here very long. <laughs> really? Um, and then just a few months later, a nun walks, uh, is knocking on the door of Pope John Paul I. He's not answering. Hmm. So she opens the door and sees him uh, with his glasses on, holding a file in his hand, not moving. Uh, so they get some cardinals in there and this is actually one of my favorite things that i found out about the vatican the way that they test that uh if a pope is dead is they have a literal silver hammer that they tap on his head i don't know how hard what yeah Yeah. and then they ask him like uh, like your holiness are you are you awake can you wake up and if he doesn't respond they're like "Eh, dead he's dead really yeah that's how they do this? Yeah. And there's like a real doctor there too, right? 
I think the real doctor comes a little later. <laughs> they, they just poke him in the head with this fucking metal stick and they call it good? Yeah. Well, here's, they, here's they the thing. They walk an 11-year-old by him and see if he looks up. <laughs> yeah. Is that anything? <laughs> Any motion? Any response? <laughs> well, so... Like, no, it's just he's it, it gets that way when people die. <laughs> it's not our actual response. So so JP one. Anyone? Anyone? Um <laughs> Rigor Mortis. I gotcha. Oh, nice. Uh JP one, they there's this whole thing where they're like, Oh shit, a nun found him. Mm-hmm. Um like he was discovered by a nun in his uh in his study. It's gonna be a big scandal if it gets out that a woman <gasps> was in the Pope's bedroom. Right, oh, no. right. And so how dare she they at first issue false statements Mm -hmm. about how he died um, to, I guess, deflect from the nun thing. Right. Um, Classic. They also can't find uh, his doctor, uh, his regular doctor. So like they get this other doctor who's nearby. Yeah. Was he sitting looking at the file or was he standing up? He was sitting. He was because I yeah I thought with the he way didn't he didn't die standing that, oh yeah was he was sitting say, up like, in his bed with like pillows si- behind see, his back I see yeah. I see okay okay that makes sense I was very confused for a moment. <laughs> though that would have been I, I would count that as a miracle if exactly he, if you I'd I'd convert yeah uh, I'm going back <laughs> you know what Vatican II was right the popes can die standing up clearly God is watching them so there's um this whole they do like a half-assed cover-up uh of the nun finding him but it's also unclear like they also rush his embalming so that he doesn't like stink up the place but then everyone was like wait he just he was perfectly fine yesterday yes and then he just dies in his bed maybe we should do an autopsy right figure out what's going on here but apparently they rushed the uh embalming to an embalming basically you know you flush the blood with Mm -hmm. uh fluids that will uh you know keep the body from decomposing right and in that process, it eliminates the ability to test for, let's say, poisons. Oh, great stuff. <laughs> yeah. So they couldn't determine... Uh, cause of death? Effectively, <laughs> yeah, the cause like, of death. If you guys are here to do autopsy, then why am I still embalming him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, like, they got this doctor who wasn't his official doctor who just came in and was like, ah, cardiac arrest. And that was, that was the official cause of death. Um, it's not clear if he was taking prescriptions or what his prescriptions were. Um, they just don't know. They just don't know. <laughs> and the fact that he also, you know, not long before that had a, a bad meeting with uh, right. the Vatican banker. I remember when uh, Francis became the new Pope, the current Pope. Uh-huh. Uh, and I saw some documentary that was like very strongly saying, Francis has to be careful because if he looks into the Vatican bank, he could be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, well, that's disturbing. Yeah. Well, that's where those suspicions came from, <laughs> is uh, is uh, what happened to John Paul I. Um, so where are we at now, time-wise, in terms of the era? I think this is the, I think this might be the early 80s. Gotcha. Uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um so John Paul II comes in. They're like, we'll get a Polish guy. He doesn't understand banking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Paul II, he's funny because he's a little bit like Ronald Reagan uh, in that he was like, he became the people's pope 
and the fact that he's like a nice guy who everyone's like fawning over him, but he was actually very deeply conservative. Um, <laughs> it's like a, like a daytime lawyer show, The People's Pope. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> he said that this cardinal raped this kid. What does the Pope say? Not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the People's Pope comes in and is very uh, charismatic. Apparently, immediately the Reagan administration reached out to him and the CIA had like a meeting with him where they showed him satellite pictures of Soviet missile bases. And he was just like sitting there really fascinated. Like the (laughs) CIA just like kind of hooked him as a fan. Right. And uh, he yeah, he was very, very anti-communist, which was probably also because, you know, he came from Poland um, where communism didn't, uh, in, in name did not work out too well. And he would, he kind of won people over by doing things like he would go to a Bob Dylan concert and, uh, you know, people would, he, he, while he's there, you know, Bob Dylan would play knocking on heaven's door and then the camera would go up to the Pope and everyone would cheer. (laughs) Um, apparently also at the time, uh, a young, uh, Bishop by the name of, Ratzinger encouraged him not to do it because of Bob Dylan's drug use and, sure. and sinning. Uh, and also at this time, there is the fall of two banks. One of them, Franklin National Bank in Long Island, mm-hmm. and the other one, Banco Ambrosiano. Uh, Franklin National Bank is taken over by this guy, uh, my, uh, Michele Sindona. Yeah, listener, if you're going to uh, Google Franklin National Bank, do not take Adderall beforehand <laughs> because you will spend 48 hours going down that rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, so just touching the surface, apparently this guy, Sindona, um, he was a member of this lodge, this Masonic, a non-chartered Masonic lodge called P2. Right. Which stands for uh, Propaganda Due. We actually talked a little bit about this on the Berlusconi episode. Berlusconi was a member of P2 as well. Yes. They speculate for networking purposes. <laughs> yes. It was... Uh, it's so funny, too, because it's like, you know, here in America, the Masons are like the Rotary Club, but with slightly fancier uh, digs. But in Italy, the uh, P2, it was... Um, when it was uncovered in 81 after the Banco Ambrosiano controversy, yeah, they found that not only was Berlusconi in it, but the heads of three Italian intelligence agencies, Hell yeah. uh, along with other top politicians and business leaders. And they also found a plan for democratic rebirth, which involved consolidating the media, suppressing trade unions and rewriting the Italian constitution. So they were more or less planning a coup. Right. And, uh, it turns out Franklin bank, uh, and Sedona was a, a member of P2. He was using the bank to create a series of offshore shell companies. And Franklin National Bank was in Long Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't in Italy. But he makes all these uh, offshore shell companies and then tries to use it to move money around, trade in the Forex market, and uh, move money around, tra- trade in the Forex market. And later came to light he was also kind of running money for sicilian drug cartels maybe skimming a little bit off for other p2 members Mm -hmm. and uh, after he underwent a bunch of losses he defrauded the bank for 30 million and the bank became insolvent 
insolvent and uh, required a billion from the Fed to guarantee uh, its its um, uh, account holders. Too big to fail child rape. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and it was considered one of the biggest um, bank failures in America at the time. Uh, Sindona was put in jail and then he was uh, extradited to Italy. And apparently Henry Hill, the the Goodfellas guy, revealed to the FBI that he knew um, a dude from the dude from prison who hit him. Hmm. Uh, He apparently was in prison with this guy and then he lived next to the guy. And the guy was like, oh, I've got to go off to Italy to do something. And then he came back and held up a picture of Sindona after he'd been killed. And he was like, that was me. <laughs> I whacked him. <laughs> uh, but part of the Franklin National Bank scandal was uh, the Vatican Bank was being used by Sindona to do a lot of the speculation in the Forex market and to run a bunch of money because it's mm. very difficult to trace something running through the uh the Vatican bank and the Swiss banks uh, because they are very secretive and are very um, quick to claim sovereignty when someone tries to investigate them. So then the same thing happened in uh, Banco Ambrosiano where this guy by the name of uh, Calvi, who was a personal friend of um, uh, Marcinkus used the bank to also create a web of shell companies to inflate the stock prices and take out large unsecured loans. Um, and then in 1982, it was found that the bank couldn't account for $1.3 billion and Calvi immediately fled the country. Oh yes. And he later turned up dead hanging under a bridge in London. Oh, and it was ruled a suicide at first. Of course um, it was. And it was later, uh, resolved. It was later revised that maybe that wasn't a suicide. I don't know. I don't know if like the head of a major conspiracy, um, being ruled to have killed himself is relevant today. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, but... yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, on uh, the Vatican and uh, the CIA, another thing that happens, particularly in the 70s, is after Watergate, there are some U.S. Congress investigations into the CIA, mm-hmm. and what this does is, according to like lots of very credible allegations, the CIA starts m- trying to hide their money much better. So they end up going through the Vatican and other banks, uh, such as, I think, BCCI, mm-hmm. which are like just very clearly fronts for drug trafficking, terrorism. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these like extremely illegal, unregulated, or banks that are dealing in very extremely illegal money laundering and other stuff, such stuff also happen to have CIA accounts because that's a good way for them to hide their money from any oversight by the U.S. government. Hmm. Yeah, I ran across uh, something mentioning that the CIA might have used, um, uh, I think it might have been Franklin Bank, uh, it could have been Ambrosiano, to run money to the Contras. Right. Like, so, yeah, a lot of the Iran-Contra stuff goes through, like, you know, either Vatican or BCCI. So after these two uh, big things that went, that you could basically trace right back to Marcinkus. Mm-hmm who was Pope Paul II's friend. He was very reluctant to do anything about him. Uh, Pope Paul, or yeah, Pope Paul II. It was also around the time that uh, Pope Paul II was uh, shot by uh, a dude. Right. And what's one funny thing that I found out about that is that the guy who shot him was actually a gray wolf. What's that? <laughs> it's Well, right now it's the name of people who uh, buy Patreon episodes of Chapo, but um, it's based on a neo-fascist uh, organization in Turkey 
um, that's affiliated with the deep state. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And so, so the guy that shot the Pope was a gray wolf. Yeah, he was. He was believed to be, or at least affiliated oh, gotcha. with the gray wolves. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't the Pope forgive that dude? He did. He did. <laughs> um, he was believed to be a gray wolf, but he was actually stealing the episodes off Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a black wolf. Why is it gonna be black? I don't know. That's the word. <laughs> so, Marcinkus, instead of, uh, at one point he's being investigated by Italy and he has to stop going to his favorite golf um, golf course. So, Aww. he actually, like, dug out a little hole in the Vatican Gardens and made a little putting range what? until the <laughs> other members of the Curia told him to stop. <laughs> uh, but eventually he got. Just like desecrating the sites of like seven <laughs> saints' right, burial right. grounds. <laughs> Eventually, he got transferred to a retirement community in, I think it was Arizona, mm-hmm. and was basically a broken man at that point where he... He gets everyone, to hang out with Henry Hill again yeah. and all the other people in witness <laughs> protection. Everyone there was wondering, like, why is this former major bishop and member of the Curia um, now presiding over us? And it also... Uh, uh, it's it's also worth comparing what happened to Marcinkus uh, with what happened to people who were actually abusing children. Yes. Because uh, it seems like if you want to keep someone in the priesthood and reform them, but keep them away from children, you should move them to a retirement community <laughs> at the very least. Um, didn't happen in most of the cases of actual pedophilia. Um, moving on to the sexual assault allegations. Um, they These also at this time first started being reported in the eighties. Um, there's some of the reporters who were uncovering them. They tried to run their stories to major outlets like the New York times or the Washington post, but they all ignored them. So they had to run them through indie papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until 2002 that the, the shit really started hitting the fan and the story, you know, broke in a major way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story at the time was based around uh, Boston, which I guess was um, kind of the all-star team of uh kid fiddling in the in the catholic church yeah if you've seen the uh barry crimmins documentary call me lucky they talk a bit about the uh boston church pedophile ring that happened out there yeah yeah it was hey francis that kid is wicked sexy (laughs) (laughs) there was uh one the boston diocese ignored dozens of abuse reports over 30 years from a pastor named john gagan Mm. uh they attempted to yeah there's your hint right (laughs) (laughs) They attempted to rehabilitate him uh, unsuccessfully, and after that, I don't know who's getting fucked worst on Sunday, the team the Patriots are playing or these kids in the church. (laughs) That's all they do in Boston. They watch the Patriots, they watch the Red Sox, Mm -hmm. and they rape children. Mm -hmm. And then they repeat watch Goodwill Hunting, too. (laughs) Yeah, they underinflated their payouts with hush money. Um they uh, so after they tried to rehabilitate Gagan and failed, they just transferred him from parish to parish, and authorized about fifteen million in confidential payouts to victims. Uh, so after these investigations, they found that um, files documented abuse allegations against uh, eighty other Boston area priests dating back to the nineteen sixties. And this was like the Boston Globe, the Spotlight movie. Yeah, yeah. Their investigation into all these uh, priests 
like raping kids and then getting transferred to other parishes mm-hmm. when it's discovered that they were raping kids. Mm-hmm. I don't know though. That that's a common move for most authority type of entities, whether it's I mean I can't speak for like the government agencies like the CIA or FBI, but I know with police uh, that have committed certain uh, assaults and stuff, they get moved around like this. So I'm not shocked that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, don't uh, don't read too much into it when Andy gets moved to Pod Damn America. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like you raped a kid. Okay, you're getting a desk job. <laughs> but that that's literally what it is, though. It's like instead of dealing with the issue, let's just move them around to. I mean, why are they so complacent? Because they're all implicated in it, or do they just not give a fuck? Uh, I'll, I'll, so part of it is that they, the Vatican is very um, protective of its so, uh, sovereignty, right? And they essentially see priests or members of the clergy as a kind of diplomat for the Vatican. Mm. And so they see them as only responsible to the law of God and not to the temporal law of, um, right. You know, regular sovereign nations because Jesus is smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you see that with a lot of hierarchical, hierarchical organizations. Like, you know, you could say it for the religious, like the Hasidic community too, Mm -hmm. will notoriously Mm -hmm. not go to the police. They consider it their job to police their own members, you know, and the idea is partly there that uh, police coming in and investigating might look places they're not supposed to. But you also see that again and again and again with corporate America, Mm -hmm. where any like power structure that has, you know, its own setup does not want to bring an outside power structure in. They're like, we're going to handle this in house. And even if it is raping children or, you know, again, there's corporate crimes that are a dozen, you know, just as bad or many cases much worse you know, like uh, what was happening with Dynecore in um, in uh, Serbia, mm-hmm. or and the U two album that was on the iPhones. <laughs> that was also a controversial uh, corporate uh, issue. No, but but Sean's right though. Like yeah. this, you know, internal investigation is at the core of all this corruption. Yeah. Instead of bringing in authority to take it out, let's just figure it out on our own. Yeah, and hush, you know, keep the uh, keep a low profile. And they especially don't want you know it exposed to the outer world because it's like, no, this is you know we got to do. We got to do business. Right. And they're going to interfere with our business. Yeah. Um, the Vatican apparently believed originally that it was just like something peculiar to America. And they they saw it as the byproduct of America's litigious culture. Sure. And sensationalist media culture. Hell yeah. Uh, These kids are too <laughs> hopped up on friends. That's why our priests are fucking them. <laughs> So then uh, things started dripping in from uh, all directions uh, in Australian church. Or people looked into Australian church records and it revealed that one in 10 priests had been accused at some point of sexual abuse of a minor. Wow. Jesus. And some priests had actually returned to the priesthood after serving time mm. for it. Really? Yeah. Um, they know background checks on becoming a priest, probably? Uh, I think there are and they don't care. They, you know, a lot of it is like, they also believe that we can reform them. Sure, sure. Because they're like, okay, well, you know, God's all powerful. We're the ones who are in charge of all powerful. Right, right. Um, the belief in higher the power soul. is so strong that they believe that even your crimes on this planet could be absolved if your faith in the Lord is high enough. Yeah, and that like, you know, if you have access to that power, you can reform someone using it. Uh, apparently, as this was breaking there was a Vatican scholar named Casado who did give a speech where he said that 
abusers in the church. He explicitly said that they should not be turned over to local authorities because it threatens uh, church sovereignty. Based. And also at the same time, because of church lobbying, uh, New York State failed to pass a law that would require the church to be included in a list of groups, which includes doctors and lawyers, uh, or, uh, groups of professions that would uh, be legally required to report abusers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you're probably quoting, but failed to pass makes it seem like we tried, but it just didn't happen. But they, they just didn't do it. I mean, they they chose against it. Yeah, it was like they. It was maybe up for a vote, but then it got lobbied right, away. Right, right. Yeah, uh, there was also let's see, uh, John Paul issued statements, basically saying, and this is sort of like the fascism thing that all the abuse made him sad, and uh, but he also never apologized or took any credit because the Vatican was afraid of how much money they would lose from lawsuits. Right, and at one point. Um, because of all the lawsuits, uh, Boston, uh, they had to pay out $85 million in settlements with 552 victims. And even though the Boston Diocese had $14 billion worth of property and $160 million of which was unused, right. they didn't have a lot of cash on hand. And I guess they didn't want to sell their property. So they just started closing schools to m- make the payouts. <laughs> really? Yeah. They had to pay out less than half of the Red Sox <laughs> annual payroll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they- Eventually, uh, it came out the church spent more money defending priests in court, $38.4 million, than treating the priests, which was $33.3 million. Right. And the church also spent millions more to lobby state governments to not extend the statute of limitations on child sex abuse. So that, that was an interesting thing to find. Uh, it also came out that John Paul II failed to even consider claims against a cardinal, uh, Marcial, a uh, Mexican cardinal, who had charges brought by nine seminarians and was even reported to have raped his own son uh, because that cardinal was bringing in a lot of money for the church. Uh, There was another big report that showed that 95% of American dioceses had at least one complaint of sexual assault by a priest against a minor uh, in a time period going back to 1950. Uh, 4,395 priests were accused of abusing over 10,000 children. And in some years, that figure was as high as 10% of all priests. Uh, there were at least 143 serial molesters who carried out their attacks in multiple dioceses, and uh, four out of five of the victims were minor boys, and fewer than 5% of the instances were reported to the police. But it's okay, because at the end they said, the aristocrats! <laughs> <laughs> um, and then by the time of John Paul II's death, the church had paid out $840 million for sex abuse victims. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. So then we come to uh, Pope Benny, and I know we're running a bit long. Uh, we're near the end. You're right. So we come to Pope Benedict, who I'm almost sympathetic to because he he actually kind of wanted to take some action against this stuff, but he's the most incompetent leader that the papacy's probably had in a while. Um, Apparently, in the last vote, it was uh, between him and you know, Francis, and Benedict won out. Uh, but he only briefly was—he uh, only briefly was an archbishop over a diocese, and apparently, he was really bad at that. Most of his time mm-hmm. was working as a theologian, basically making rules right. for the Catholic Church. That's all he really knew how to do. And um, yeah, Germans are good at that. <laughs> <laughs> this is all I know. 
He, uh, you know, it was well reported that he was in the uh, Hitler Youth, uh, though, and he says that he didn't really believe in it, and that's actually kind of believable because at the time that uh, it became mandatory and he had to join the Hitler Youth in Germany, uh, they were showing a lot of anti-Catholic propaganda, mm. and so it is plausible that he really didn't want uh, anything to do with it, but mm. had to. Uh, he also briefly worked. You were saying he deserted the Hitler Youth, right? Well, he deserted the. He he briefly joined the German military, and he was stationed in Hungary. And he saw that they were deporting people. Here he saw people getting loaded up in the trains for Auschwitz, mm. and at that point, he um he actually deserted. So, so you're saying he's a yellow-bellied coward <laughs> who didn't serve when his country called him. <laughs> Impeach Pope Benedict. So, <laughs> you see, Ro- Robert Mueller served in Vietnam when his country <laughs> called him, but Donald Trump abandoned his country in its hour of need. The worst thing Donald Trump has ever done. It's so true. So this is... Uh, Pope Benedict has one of my favorite papacies because both him and everyone around him is completely incompetent with PR. Uh, at one point, he made a statement about Islam where he said he criticized Muhammad's use of uh, forcing people to convert at the sword. And this led to a bunch of Catholics internationally getting killed, uh, churches getting burned. And at one point... Uh, There's this wonderful clip from the book. Even John Paul's recently paroled wannabe assassin, Mehmet Ali Agka, told reporters that if he could talk to Benedict, he would say, as someone who knows these matters well, I say your life is in danger. (laughs) (laughs) Just such a wonderful understatement. Yeah. Look, I've shot a pope and people are going to want to shoot you. (laughs) I know what it's like to want to shoot a pope. Uh, and then there was also this example of just the Vatican, because this the Vatican at this time is just a bunch. They didn't. Pope Francis got like a PR manager, but mm-hmm. before that, it was just a bunch of old cardinals trying to figure out how to respond to all the media stuff. So then there's this where after it came out that there was a priest who molested a bunch of deaf boys mm-hmm. uh, that made the front pages. It was in like Minnesota or Montana. I thought they were signing yes, yes, <laughs> give it to oh me. My God. Um, this this is how they responded. His enraged aides seemingly stumbled over each other to prove who was the most incompetent. In one Sunday sermon at St. Peter's with Benedict in the front pew, a priest compared the church's bad press over the sex abuse scandal to what Holocaust victims had endured. Mm. Cardinal Sodano tried putting out that fire with a lecture to the press corps, but he set off another uproar by dismissing the sex abuse charges as idle gossip. A couple of weeks later, Vienna's Cardinal Christoph von Schoenborn, in what he mistakenly thought was an off-the-record chat with reporters, revealed how Sodano had forced Ratzinger in 1995 to back off a sex abuse probe of Schoenborg's predecessor, Cardinal Hans Hermann Groer. Even mundane public relations events often turned into problems. When the Pope attended a Vatican Christmas, the press focused on an embarrassing moment when four male acrobats stripped off their shirts in front of the red-faced Benedict. (laughs) Strippers in Vatican went viral on YouTube and led to another round of finger-pointing among his advisors about who should have previewed the act. 
they probably all previewed it and were like, it's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that uh, came to light at this time is that there's a, there's a big uh, gay scene in the Vatican. Yeah. Um, they're called the Vatican or the Korea's Gay Caucus. And it's actually, it's, it's kind of not directly related to the papal abuse, but there is apparently a casting couch culture for getting power in the Vatican. Really? Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> and it's, it's been going on at least since uh, Marcinkus, who kind of once Since tacitly... the beginning of couches, <laughs> there's been a casting couch in the Vatican. The stickiest substance in the entire city. <laughs> But the one that has the most power is the least sticky. Yeah, they, uh, the casting couch is the Shroud of Turin draped over it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, actually this great Frontline documentary called Secrets of the Vatican. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And there was this reporter who took a hidden camera to this underground Vatican gay nightclub and followed his friend who got picked up by a priest, slept on the couch while the priest and his friend fucked all night, and then the next morning, the priest held out like sack or put on all of his papal garb mm-hmm. or all of his priestly garb sure. and performed a mass to to the two to, to bless the fucking. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. That's how you prevent yourself from getting HPV. <laughs> so um, Benedict got really pissed off about this and made several statements decrying homosexuality in general. <laughs> Uh, which didn't go over too well. And at the same time, the Vatican Bank uh, kind of really went into overdrive on uh, all their money laundering. In one case, there were um, mobsters who were wired by Italian officials. Mm -hmm. And it it was basically this like online banking fraud thing where they would use pilfered computer files and passwords. And over the wiretap, they bragged of having Vatican connections. So the Italian authorities had to like quickly but they couldn't let the the mobsters go through with it and get actual like stuff to convict them because mm-hmm. they realized that if any of the money went through the vatican bank it would be impossible to trace right 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 uh too corrupt to be corrupt is that what you're saying yeah <laughs> so then there was also research uh at this time from the university of melbourne that created a list of the top 200 money laundering countries and the Vatican came in fifth behind Luxembourg, Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, and Liechtenstein. <laughs> Hell yeah. They also made the top 10 list for most attractive countries to launder money. Uh, that list was made by the UN. Uh, it was found that the IOR, that's the Vatican Bank, was a conduit for $55 billion annually. And that was only for Italian money. And uh, by sort of the end of Benedict's uh, papacy, the Vatican Bank had accumulated $5 billion in cash reserves. And uh, the Financial Times reported that the Vatican controlled $60 billion in, real, in a real estate and stock portfolio. So uh, Benedict tried to do some stuff about this, but he couldn't really. He, he was just kind of a shitty leader and indecisive and couldn't figure out how to do anything. Right. And then after getting a report on the Vatican gay lobby... He decided, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm too old <laughs> and just quit, which probably added. So you could say he deserted again. <laughs> <laughs> deserted an organization right when it needed him most. <laughs> it, I mean, it probably extended his life by 10 years. Like, yeah, I'm probably. surprised that he's still kicking. Um, 
But that's why he left. He says he's like, fuck the shit, I'm out. I'm tired. Yeah, between the financial stuff, um, because the Vatican started getting on the EU blacklist, mm-hmm. and the Vatican actually prints EU coins, but because of all the money laundering going on in there, the EU started cracking down on oh, them. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, hmm. And they were also like known to fund terrorism. There were reports of them setting up uh, a bunch of fake charities, or people like with Vatican bank accounts would set up fake charities and sure. use that to launder money. There are also reports that like 10% of the people who hold accounts in the Vatican bank are dead. Uh, just all kinds sure. of, yeah, 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 yeah. Implicating things that he went, you know what? I'm not dealing with any of this. I'm getting I mean, out of here. If you're the Pope, your options are like, uh, become a, uh, what do you want to call it? Become a co-conspirator in the Vatican bank or investigated and get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> so these are your two choices. Oh yeah. And so what was another thing? That doesn't matter. So he resigns. There's a papal conclave. Apparently during the conclave, um, they were so wary of uh, the internet age that they threatened the regular people who work at the Vatican, just like uh, janitors and elevator cleaners. They threatened them with excommunication if there were any link- leaks wow. to the media. Uh, eventually, our guy Pope Francis came and... Well, he came a lot. <laughs> And he was so charismatic from, like, his first talk um, to, like, going around and washing the feet of uh, prisoners, you know, doing all this public outreach stuff that uh, Pope Benedict never would have thought of doing Mm -hmm. because Pope Benedict was probably, you know, the least charismatic guy in Vatican history, maybe. Not very PR savvy. Yeah. Whereas Francis (laughs) understood that stuff better. Yeah. Francis was... Is, is just like a genius with PR. Like he immediately became the people's Pope again and was more, is more beloved. I'd probably say than um, Pope John Paul II. Yeah. Like people were apparently Catholic donations just shot up mm-hmm. after he took the papacy. And that gave him a lot of leeway to reform the bank. And essentially he just axed, all of the bank's leaders and replace them with Goldman Sachs types. Of course. So he's, when I said he was like the Obama of popes, I mean that in a lot of ways. Like he's charismatic. <laughs> Everyone projects what they want to see on him. Like right. a lot of people were like, oh, he's going to change their stance on abortion, gay marriage. You know, he's going to allow women to be priests. Yeah. He, he did none of that because he's actually a conservative. Um, there are even rumors that he might have turned over some people to the uh argentine dictatorship like he oh, might have really? turned over some leftists or and you know at best he was silent in the face of a bunch of abuses by the argentine dictatorship right and but he's also very charismatic and um gonna be played by the guy who played the high sparrow in game of thrones in a new netflix movie huh. mm. so he essentially the the ending to the story is that Pope Francis neoliberalized the church. Like he's the first neoliberal Pope. And in terms of one of the impressions I got from learning all this is that the Vatican is in general about 50 years behind the rest of modern society socially. And so it right now they're just, I don't know. They're probably going to be more susceptible to uh, financial swings, especially with all the Goldman people they've got in there. Right. I was going to say the interesting thing about like, uh, t- 
turning out your bank and then putting a bunch of Goldman people there is like you're essentially moving the criminal activity that occurs from one that does not have the blessing of the U.S. federal government <laughs> to the kind that does have the blessing of the U.S. federal government. Absolutely. Because, it, yeah, I mean, like we've, we've talked about this in particular on the Hank Paulson episode, but it really blows your mind if you don't know. You know, the amount of Goldman Sachs people who the, have a revolving door to become U.S. Treasury Secretary and who, in the case of Hank Paulson, use their position as U.S. Treasury Secretary to make sure AIG pays back Goldman Sachs 100% on their bets. So it's like, yeah, if you have a bunch of Goldman people running the Vatican Bank and, you know, they're all over the, the White House, in the event that you're in trouble, you're going to have a friendly ear there. Right, right. I don't know if Francis was... Francis might have been smart enough to know that when he brought yeah. them in. That it's, it's totally like, possible. Like on a cynical real politic thing, like you go from like your shadowy terrorist funding bank to your um, like perfectly acceptable uh, mortgage fraud bank. Yeah. Mortgage backed derivative securities fraud bank. That's like if anything goes wrong, the, you're too big to fail. The U.S. government's going to bail you out. And so much of their so much of this fraud stuff that they either are or are alleged to be in depends on like having people on the inside of the payment system regime mm-hmm. and a lot of it flows through the new york federal reserve mm-hmm. oh really yeah. absolutely like if our, uh, like the bank of international settlements they route all of their payments through the new york federal reserve system hmm. and so oh. like having someone on the inside of the white house in addition to just being generally advantageous right would be right. really important for that there was they actually can, the, the treasury is a uh, in charge of that so unsurprisingly no. there was a, a whistleblower who worked for the new york fed and she wrote a book i'm spacing on the name of it but maybe we'll do a future episode but she wrote a book and it's, unsurprisingly the conclusion was uh the new york fed is supposed to oversee goldman sachs and other too big to fail banks and they just do not do that at all <laughs> and they in fact uh deliberately punt on their regulatory and oversight responsibilities because they can just go get jobs at those places afterwards by the way if you want to um get an idea of where the church is going. I recommend going to the Wikipedia page on the papal conclave for Pope Francis and then going to the Wikipedia pages for the Cardinals who are the runner ups Mm -hmm. and scrolling down to their views. (laughs) All of them real angry about gay marriage (laughs) and abortion. And it's like nothing's everything that everyone projected onto Francis, like, it's not going to happen. Like right, the right. church is not going to change for a while. Um, but it's good for a laugh if you're. <laughs> <laughs> I like how there are popes, like in your history uh, you, that you detailed. Like there's there are certain popes that were like f- a mere forty years behind their time, and yeah. then they're like they're basically canceled by like tradcalf extremists. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> within the Vatican. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just imagining now the Vatican brings in like the Goldman Sachs bankers to run the Vatican Bank and then the they have to start moving around different priests to different parishes because they've been foreclosing on people with robo signed <laughs> documents. Like yeah, no, the priests in Boston kept like kicking people out of their home with uh unno- with false noto- notarized <laughs> documents and we had to move them to another parish. So um I guess we can look forward to the uh Vatican housing crisis. <laughs> I'm into it, man. Um, anyone have anything they want to add? Uh, unless we're at 2015, I want to talk about this congressman that stole a glass of water from the Pope, but we can do that later. Oh, uh, sure. 
This guy, uh, this was in 2015, uh, Representative Bob Brady, uh, Pennsylvania Democrat, uh, he stole a glass of water that touched the lips of Pope Francis. Uh, he, <laughs> he did this twice. He did this when Obama was in office as well. <laughs> and he took the Pope's glass of water, took a sip, and then took it away. And, and when asked what he's going to do with it, he's like, I'm going to use the water and bless my grandchildren. And when reporters were like, well, unless he blesses the water, it's not blessed, he's like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. If the Pope's lips touched it, it's blessed. And so uh, when they were asked, like, hey, are you going to keep doing this? He's like, uh, I got the first black president's uh, fingerprints and the Pope's fingerprints. I'm good. Uh, just one thing we didn't get to. One of my By the fi- way, if you... The market for Pope bath water... <laughs> <laughs> you think gamer girl, ba- gamer girl water is bath water is bad the pope bath water market is crazy you should go on the forex market between gamer girl bath water and pope bath water (laughs) uh arbitrage some of that shit one of my favorite stories is the only protestant psychopath that i really respect is ian paisley is a northern ireland politician he's dead now and he founded the dup which uh, you might know is currently in coalition with the conservative government in the united kingdom Mm -hmm. the dup again protestant psychopaths who have absolutely been linked to um uh Ulster militias that just indiscriminately killed uh, civilians in Northern Ireland. Uh, but so Ian Paisley in stands ni- for dumb Ulster prods. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in 1988 uh, he is elected as a Euro member of Parliament for uh, Northern Ireland uh, for the DUP. And Pope John Paul visits the European Parliament, at which point Ian Paisley interrupts and screams that he is the Antichrist of him. <laughs> And has to be removed from the chamber. And you can watch the video on YouTube. Uh, I think it, he even like unfurls a banner because he like told people he was going to do it in advance. And then he starts, <laughs> the Pope starts speaking and he starts screaming that he's the Antichrist and he gets removed forcibly from the chamber. That's fucking great. I know. <laughs> I, do like, I do like that level of Protestant uh, psychopath. I mean, yeah, if you're representing one of the prod sections of Belfast, like that's a guaranteed re-election for life. Right, right. Well, with that, I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Yogi Boggle. I'm Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. Hey, thank you to our Patreons. Yeah, thank you. And we will see you next week. All right, bye. The big news story of the year concerned the ecumenical council in Rome known as Vatican II. Another big news story of the year concerned the ecumenical council in Rome known as Vatican II. (laughs) Among the things they did in an attempt to make the church more commercial (laughs) was to introduce the vernacular into portions of the mass to replace Latin and to widen somewhat the range of music permissible in the liturgy. But I feel that if they really want to sell the product in... uh, in this secular age, what they ought to do is to redo some of the liturgical music in popular song forms. I have a modest example here. (laughs) It's called The Vatican Rag. First you get down on your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. steps you want if you have cleared them with the pontiff everybody say his own Kyrie eleison doing the Vatican right 
that processional Step into that small confessional They're the guy who's got religion I'll tell you if your sin's original If it is, try playing it safer Drink the wine and chew the wafer Two, four, six, eight Time to transubstantiate So get down upon your knees Fiddle with your rosaries Bow your head with great respect And genuflect, genuflect, genuflect Make a cross on your abdomen When in Rome, do like a Roman Ave Maria, gee, it's good to see you Getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic And doing the Vatican, right? 